A journalist, Sue Dennish, writes, sometimes it's hard not to be absorbed and disturbed by the news of our day. Mass killings, unpredictable violence, economic uncertainty, intolerance of others' religious beliefs and personal freedoms, regional wars that devastate whole countries and displace millions of people. That's not even talking about the political strife of our day, which is increasingly strident and belligerent. These, she writes, are challenging times. And I think it does feel like we're living in increasingly challenging, difficult times. I mean, uncertainties, conflict, pervasive in our world. And it's not just about what's out there in our world. Often our own personal lives, it feels like we walk in increasingly challenging lives. I mean, I hear the stories from so many of you of what you're walking with and facing. So we ask the question, how do we trust God as we walk through these kind of challenging, difficult times? And that's the question behind the teaching series we're beginning today. And in this series, for guidance, we're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah to see how God's word guides us there. Because Jeremiah was written in a time of economic strife, upheaval, social division, and really great, significant personal struggles for Jeremiah himself. Jeremiah, you might know, he's one of the four major prophets in Scripture. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And Jeremiah ministered, he prophesied about six centuries before the birth of Jesus. And his life, you could say, is kind of the stuff of movies as you read it. I mean, he was prophesying in what was an absolutely critical time in the history of the people of Israel. I mean, he ministered, you could easily say, in the most important, the most impactful series of events that happened in the post, or rather in the Old Testament, after Moses and the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. He was called by God at a very young age to speak really challenging words to his own people who had drifted so far from God. And, and rather than them repenting, they considered Jeremiah a traitor. They hated him. They plotted to kill him. Many did. He sought, they, even as he sought to be faithful to God. So in this series, we're going to explore how Jeremiah's life and words might help us to deliver and hold on to a faith that both keeps us strong in challenging times and also prompts us to live in hope about our future. So let's turn to Jeremiah, if you would. Turn to your Bible or Bible app there, and if you actually have a physical Bible, which I would recommend you bring, uh, just go to Psalms and go to the right. You'll hit Isaiah, eventually Jeremiah is right there. Kind of interesting. It's not the book of Psalms, but it's actually the book of Jeremiah that's the longest book in Scripture based on word count. And it's really not an easy book to understand at times. So really, be, kind of before we read from Jeremiah, and, and really as a foundation for this series, I want to go over some historical, geographical background, which will really help us understand what's going on in this book. Because you won't really know what Jeremiah is talking about at times if you don't understand the historical context of what he's walking through. And I know this. I know we love history and geography here, right? Can I get an amen? All right. Good job, even if you don't believe it. Way to go. 
Well, one thing is we read Jeremiah, know this. It's helpful to know that Jeremiah actually wasn't written chronologically. It doesn't kind of just start at the beginning of his life and move year by year eventually to the end of his life. Through the book, you really kind of bounce back and forth through different events in Jeremiah's life. So let's look at kind of the, the background and context for the book. And I want you to work with me on this because even if you really aren't a history geography person, I promise these things will help make sense of what we're gonna walk through in the coming weeks. All right, so let's go to the maps. As a friend told me, when you read the Bible, you have to read Genesis through the maps. The maps are so good. Here's the maps. Let's go to the Middle East. This is today. Now, if you look at the Middle East today, a question that comes up if you reflect on this is, okay, there's Israel. Why is Israel, this little country, just tucked away in their corner, why is it in ancient times, on through present times, had such a significant role in presence in human history. Why is that so? Well, one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons is the geography of that land. Remember when you were back in school studying the Fertile Crescent? Okay, we're gonna learn about it today. Here, the green part there, that's the Fertile Crescent. This is the area in which the greatest remnants and artifacts of human civilization are found uh, back in Mesopotamia times. And the Fertile Crescent is the area in green there, going from the Persian Gulf on the right there, up along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, see them there? Those ancient rivers up over the top of Syria and then down eventually to left, down through Lebanon, Canaan, which we call Israel today, on down to the Nile River Valley. That was a Fertile Crescent and it was called that because it was really fertile. It was a place you could have the best fruitfulness in planting, harvesting, so on. You didn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. That area where Saudi Arabia is the Arabian desert. So that wasn't a place you wanted to be. So if you wanted to travel, for example, say you lived in a city of Ur, in the Chaldees. Say you're Abraham, there with a the yellow dot by the Persian Gulf. When God calls you over to Canaan, you don't head in a straight line over because you would die. You have to go over the top through the fertile land. So Abraham went up along the Tigris and Euphrates, stopped at Haran, which is, sorry, puberty, just above Syria there, and then eventually worked his way back down to Canaan because that's the way the land worked. And, and understand this, that's why in historical times, it didn't matter what empire was in place, Egyptian, Persian, Babylonian, Assyrian, it didn't matter, Roman even, you had to control Canaan. You had to control Israel. Because if you wanted to get from Africa on up to Europe to the left, Asia to the right, you had to go through Canaan or back down to Africa. Same thing. That's why it was such a strategic piece of property and still is in many ways today. In fact, if you go to Israel today, like we do with some of our tours or teams when we go, there are two of the highways we travel on. Along the coast is an ancient highway these ancient empires used. It is now I-70 in Israel. That's right along that ancient highway. Or in Jordan, I-35, now a highway. That's the king's highway that these empires used to travel from the north down to the south and back and forth. It's why that land was so critical. All right, so let's take it the next step. When Jeremiah was born, the Middle East was largely under the control of the Assyrian Empire. Now look at this. Kind of interesting, well, it's the Fertile Crescent, right? Because 
That's really the land that mattered around there. The other stuff was in mountains or desert. You didn't really want it. It was the Fertile Crescent. That was the Assyrian Empire right there. And the capital of the Assyrian Empire was up in Nineveh. Throw an arrow up there so you can see it. We know Nineveh, right? Who went to Nineveh? Who didn't want to go to Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah headed the other direction, out towards Spain and Tarshish. Eventually he worked his way to Nineveh because he was to proclaim, God said, to the Assyrian Empire, God is the true God. That's where he went to Nineveh. So a couple things to be aware of. You consider the Assyrian Empire, which was reigning in the time of Jeremiah. For one, a rising concern for the Assyrian Empire was the Babylonians. The Babylon right there by the arrow, Babylon, they were kind of rising up in revolt. They were concerned for the Syrians, rightly so, as we'll see in a moment. Second thing I want you to notice, keep this in mind. Notice the red arrow by Israel. At this time, by the time of Jeremiah, the nation of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south kingdom. The north kingdom was called Israel. The south kingdom, as marked here, was called Judah. That included the city of Jerusalem, and that's a region in which Jeremiah ministered and prophesied. This divided kingdom of that time. Now, the northern kingdom, about 100 years before Jeremiah, the Assyrian Empire came to the northern kingdom, took them captive, left Judah kind of on its own. But the next step was this. After the Assyrians we have, the Babylonian Empire. Babylon did rise up. They overtook the Fertile Crescent again. There it is again. And they took control of this region. And understand, this was after Jeremiah, after his ministry. And this is what God told Jeremiah would take place unless his people repented and turned back to him. Unless they pushed away their idolatry and turned towards justice and compassion. This is what Jeremiah was warning the people about would take place. Jeremiah begins his prophetic ministry, remember this year, 627 BC. This is gonna be on the test, so remember this. 627 BC, that's the year he began. And that year was a time really of just significant change in that region. And understand, Jeremiah was somewhere around 16 to 18 years old when he began this ministry. And one of the things that took place when Judah was under Assyrian rule was that the people of Judah began to just kind of syncretize, they began to assimilate Assyrian pagan practices and began to worship Assyrian gods along with Yahweh to the point where the Jewish people actually took the altars at the temple in Jerusalem, the altars to Yahweh, they pushed them to the side and they put altars to Assyrian gods in their place. They neglected the temple, it fell into disrepair, began falling apart in places and catch this, for 50 years, they misplaced the law of Moses. For 50 years, they misplaced scripture. Can you get your head on it? Like, imagine coming to church. Hey, anybody seen a Bible? I mean, well, 50 years later, they, that's what they walked through. For 50 years, they lost the Ten Commandments. They lost the guidance God had given to his people. And they drifted from following God. And it was 50 years later, right when Jeremiah was beginning to preach, that there was this kind of fairly new young king in Judah. His name was Josiah. And he was calling the people of Judah back to Yahweh. He starts rebuilding the temple. As they're rebuilding it, they find the word of God. They find the law of Moses. 
And there's a beautiful description in scripture of what they celebrated, what that looked like. But for us, as we're going through Jeremiah, Josiah then begins this reign of calling back to f- people back to following God in what year? 627 BC. Good ones. You kind of got to roll on this. Josiah again and 627 was somewhere around 21 years old. So alongside him in 627 BC, this young teenager Jeremiah also begins to rise to declare God's word to the town cities, to the people of Judah, saying to them, you need to repent. You can't serve other gods. Call out to the true God. If you continue to worship these other gods, the empire who worships these gods is going to come and destroy you. So turn back to God. Do justice in life. Care for the oppressed. Destroy your idols. And God will bless you. That was Jeremiah's basic message that he gave again and again, year after year, in city after city. So try to imagine this again. Jeremiah starts this when he's about 17 years old. And understandably, he feels a bit overwhelmed, feels a bit inadequate at first. And so let's look at God's calling on Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's read this. Jeremiah 1. We'll start in verse 4. And remember as we hear it, this is a word of God. Jeremiah writes, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Wow, can you imagine that? This is what it was like for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, although a teenager, this is the way he describes it later on in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. He said this, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. That's what it was like for Jeremiah. I had the word of God within me. It is like a burning fire kind of flowing out of my bones. Okay, so first thing, I I just want us to notice this today. Jeremiah, King Josiah as well, remind us that God often calls young people to accomplish his purposes. Ever notice that? Like think of a young girl who probably was younger than 17 at that time, lived 600 years after Jeremiah, and she was called by God to be the mother of God, to bear the child who would be the savior of the world. You know, here's the thing with this. When when you're young, you don't know you shouldn't be able to accomplish certain things, right? It just hasn't hit you yet. And therefore, when you're young, it seems you're more willing often, for one, to take risk without question 
and it shouldn't be the case, but it often is, you're more willing when you're young to take risky steps of faith. You know, I just, even in my own life, I, I, I was fairly young when I, I, I felt a prompting, a hunger, feel like I, I would love to be involved in teaching God's word in some way. And, and at that point in my life, I was young, had no formal training, but, but I really felt, if I could put in those terms, I felt like God was calling me uh, to preach scripture. And really, I, I was too young to unexperienced and untrained to be hired by any church at that point. So what I did was, I, I just, I found out where the little churches in Chicago were, where I lived, and, and wrote letters to these churches and say, hey, if you ever need a preacher on a weekend, I, I'm your guy. And kind of amazingly, some of them wrote back to me at, at that point. And, and one said, hey, we'd love you to come and preach. Here's a weekend, can you come? Absolutely thrilled about it, prepared for it. Went to the church on that weekend. It was on the south side of Chicago, which I didn't know very well. And, and the church met. It was this small lot with just this really little mobile home. That, that's what it was. And, and, and in the church, I mean, there were maybe 15 people, maybe 20 gathered in there. And one of the elders got up, introduced me. He went to the back row, which really wasn't very far back, sat down in it, and, and this is true. He was asleep by the time I finished my opening prayer. I, I still remember it. And, and really, I can say that opening prayer was probably the best part of my sermon that day because I really, it, it wasn't a great sermon. I was just kind of learning that way. But I remember this. Following that gathering, there was an older woman, I so wish I knew her name, who came up to me and said in that way, that wasn't just, hey, a nice job. She looked in my eyes and said, keep preaching. And that stuck with me. And really, had no idea where that would lead in my life. But really, I believe God had prompted me in this. And I believe this as well. I know this. God has prompted some of you. Or God will prompt some of you. In, in a calling in your life in some way. You know, you think of the Apostle Paul writing to this young pastor he had mentored named Timothy, and he was sending Timothy to minister in this very intimidating, this powerful, prominent, highly educated city of Ephesus. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul says, let no one despise you for your what? For your youth, let no one do it, but set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Let me say this to us. If you are an older believer uh, like me, God still might be calling you to serve him in some unexpected way. He still might. But also I want us to hear this as ones who have been longer in faith as older believers. I, I want us to remember we have the responsibility also to help fan into flame the gifts, the calling that our younger people are being drawn to as they follow Christ in, in this body. And, and I'm not just talking about encouraging those who are pursuing vocational ministry, but of any of our young people who are, they have a dream or a sense of calling about making an impact for Christ in the world, maybe expressing his mercy in a different way or his grace, his justice, his beauty in the arts, his compassion in the world. Let us be a people, may it be, that intentionally think we want to fan in the flame the gifts, the calling of those who are young among us, just like it was with Jeremiah. Amen? 
And if you are a young man or woman, a youth among us, can I just say Paul's words back to you today? Hear this to you. Let no one despise you as you pursue Christ for your youth. Let no one look down on you spiritually because you are young. Because our God, he still calls, he still gives, he, he still impassions us to express his kingdom in our world. This many centuries after Jeremiah. So that's what Jeremiah did. In obedience, he followed God's call. And he was preaching this message. Was not an easy message to deliver or to hear. I mean, again, he declared, if you don't change, if you don't return to God alone, I, I've seen what the future will hold for you. I mean, I've seen the consequences that will come from your rebellion. You, you are blinded by your wealth. The, the, understand, the way you are living is just abhorrent to God. You need to turn from it because there is a kingdom from the north. And that kingdom was a newly growing kingdom of Babylon. And if you don't turn from these other gods, God's protection will be removed from you, Jeremiah says. So try to picture this. I mean, you could kind of imagine that when Jeremiah first began preaching this message, this, this call back to God, you kind of imagine the people around might have thought, oh, that, that is so cute. Look at him trying to be a prophet. That is, that is, that's adorable, this 17-year-old kid. But over time, they, they stopped thinking his message was cute anymore. In fact, they started getting angry with him. They, they started rebuking him. They started to harass him, harangue him. They essentially said, would you just shut up? We do not want to hear it. Until Jeremiah eventually realized, these people aren't going to repent. They're not going to return, turn from their wickedness. All they want is wealth and comfort. There is no turning back for them. They, they aren't changing. The kingdom's going to come from the north. Prepare for the judgment. And eventually, it came. 587 B.C., 40 years after Jeremiah first began to preach, the most cataclysmic biblical event in the post-Mosaic era took place among God's people. This kingdom of Babylon comes down through Judah, they invade Jerusalem, break down the city walls, ravage the city, tear down the great temple of God, destroy the priest's homes, and then they get the king and his sons. They murder the king's sons while they force the king to watch. And to make certain that's the last thing the king sees, they gouge the king's eyes out. Then they put the people of Jerusalem and Judah in shackles, march them off to Babylon where they will be in captivity for 70 years. And Judah, it's essentially no more. Exactly as Jeremiah prophesied. It was precisely what he had foretold. Now sometime before that conquest, sometime before that took place, and in this case, after Jeremiah had been preaching about 20 years, many years before the Babylonian invasion, this is what we read in Jeremiah 19. He was preaching again, verse 14. 
Then Jeremiah stood in the court of the Lord's house again and said to all the people, that's the temple in Jerusalem he's at. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'm bringing upon the city, upon all its towns, all the disaster I pronounced against it because they've stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Now, at this point, the temple priest who was oversaw the temple, his name was Pasher, and he had had enough of Jeremiah at this point. So he orders that Jeremiah be arrested, beaten, stripped, and then locked in stocks at the temple gates. You know, where your head is in there, your, your feet and the hands as well. And, and Jeremiah at this point, he's not a young kid now. He's like 38 years old. And this is after like 20 plus years of faithful ministry. And he's humiliated, locked in these stocks. Can you picture it? And you can kind of imagine People were sick of his message. So what do you think they did as they walked by him, him locked in there? I mean, just ridiculing him, humiliating him, that, that's what you get for your craziness, idiot. <laughs> that's what they would have said in their own words. And all night he remains locked up by the temple gate. You know, on, on one hand, one thing this reminds us of is just the incredible patience of our God. I mean, God had this messenger. He had Jeremiah preach and call people to repentance for 40 years before judgment finally came. They had over 40 years to finally turn their hearts and respond to God. And on the other hand, as we hear this account, on the other hand, we try to imagine Man, what was going on in Jeremiah's head after being beaten, locked up in the stocks through the darkness of night? Man, I, how do you think Jeremiah kind of processed all of that? I mean, God had called him to this mission. God had called him to it, and he was faithful in it. He was obedient. He, he sought God's approval rather than society. He did just as God asked. He was, you could say, right in the center of God's will in his life. And what happens? At this point, 20 years of opposition, outrage, rejection, being ostracized, now beaten, locked up, humiliated, in the stocks, at the temple. How poignant. How would you feel? I mean, you think you might wonder, okay, I've been obedient, God. I mean, I've followed your call. And, and this mess, this disgrace is what I get. You think he, he might have wondered in that moment, where are you, God? And why did I trust you? The thing is, we know that's what Jeremiah thought. Because in Jeremiah 20, we have this tumultuous reflection of Jeremiah while he's in the stocks waiting for whatever's going to happen the next day. It's just this remarkable, honest account of what the prophet thought while he was in prison. And we, as you read it, we see that in Jeremiah's heart, he wanted people to like him. He cared what people thought about him. He, he wanted to live a normal life in some way. It hurts him when people reject him. So in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, we have what is called the lament, this complaint of Jeremiah against God. And Jeremiah, as we read it, he is vacillating between despair and faith, back and forth. And really, any of us, 
I mean, who, if you've ever found yourself in unexpected trouble for doing the right thing, you'll be able to identify with Jeremiah at this time. And the first thing he feels is that God himself has lied to him. Look at this, Jeremiah 27. Oh Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You're stronger than I, and you, you prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. I trusted you, God, and, and you left me hanging. Ever felt like that toward God? <laughs> I mean, have you ever felt kind of weary, tired in living out God's will in your life? Ever, ever felt like, man, this is just too hard? God, you're asking too much, God. I mean, I would kind of imagine that many, I would guess most of us have. And you imagine Jeremiah, and you think, okay, Jeremiah, man, he was probably thinking back to the promise of God that began his ministry. It's the one we read in the first chapter. Hear it again. This is Jeremiah 1.7. Jeremiah, do you think he was recalling, but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth for all to whom I send you. You shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you declares the Lord. So back in the stocks now, Jeremiah, remembering those words, is saying, what happened? <laughs> what, what about the promise? I mean, you said you'd deliver me. I mean, you lied to me, God. And really, that's where our hearts can easily go in feeling towards God when the challenges of life start rolling in, isn't it? I mean, like us at times, Jeremiah, he took God's promise and really could say he understood it superficially because he, he read into God's promises certain assumptions that God never intended. Jeremiah assumed really that by to deliver, God meant I'm gonna keep you from all hurt. But God hadn't promised that. Jeremiah thought, okay, as, as long as I obey God, God's going to set a wall around me. He's going to give his angels charge over me. He's going to keep me safe through it all. He's going to give me success. And now he's in this moment. He has had absolutely no success in human terms. He has no protection. And so he charges God with lying, which is the one thing our God can't do. Our God cannot lie. And it really reminds us of a reality that we often, I think we forget it or don't grasp as we follow Christ. And it's just this. Friends, God calls you to be obedient and faithful, not successful. He calls you to be obedient and faithful, not successful. I mean, success as we define it, it may come or it may not. But often, as we see in scripture, Obedience actually might bring more difficulties, more challenges in this life for you. You may know that down in the States, they, they just celebrated Martin Luther King Day back on uh, January 21. And if you've read Dr. King's story, uh, you likely read that early in his civil rights work, he was in the city of Montgomery, Alabama. And what he was fighting for at, at that point was just the, for the right of a black person 
to be able to stay in their seat on a bus and not be forced to give it up when a white person came on, on the bus. And so Dr. King had been doing this, kind of, this work for three months at this point. The police arrested him, jailed him for some bogus trumped-up charge. And it was unnerving to him in this. He, he wasn't expecting this. I mean, he, he never thought this would happen. I mean, because he was a pastor. <laughs> and he started thinking, what in the world are my people back in Atlanta and my church going to think about me that I've been arrested? What kind of pastor am I in that way? And the next day, he postponed. He goes back to his motel room, and that night, he can't sleep. He tosses and turns in it, finally gets up. He made a cup of coffee. And while he was sitting at the little table there in the motel room having a coffee, it was midnight. The phone in his room rings. He answers the call, and the caller says, if you're not out of town within three days, we're going to blow your brains out, and we're going to blow up your home. And Dr. King said that he sat there for one stun, but his immediate thought was, his newborn baby girl, and thinking, this isn't what I planned for. To have my daughter's life threatened? Th this wasn't what I bargained for. When, it, when I responded to what I believe was God's call on me, to, to seek equality for all people. And so he said, he just said a prayer out loud in that motel room. And he noted in this, I'd been a Christian at this point since my childhood. My dad was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, but, but that night was when I actually found God's presence in my life. That night, he became real to me. And he wrote this, sitting over my cup of coffee, I bowed down and prayed out loud, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess, I am weak now. I am faltering, and I'm losing my courage. And really, that's what Jeremiah was feeling when he was in those stocks at night. And Dr. King said that that night, he believed he heard a word from God spoken him. He said, I felt like God was saying to me, I'm with you, Martin. Do not be afraid. Keep preaching righteousness. Keep preaching my justice. And I will be with you always even to the end. And of course, we know Dr. King was thrown into prison many more times, many more threats on his life he would face until ultimately he was assassinated for trying to see the kingdom of God expressed in our world. And it's fitting we remember what Jesus says to us because Jesus said this as it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 5.11. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When that happens, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Like Jeremiah. Because there's Jeremiah, he's in the stocks, and it says he wants to quit preaching, but he says, I can't quit because that fire is still in my bones. I want to stop, I can't stop. And eventually, what comes to Jeremiah's rescue is faith. Faith in God begins to strengthen him. It's like faith counterattacks to uphold this tottering 
prophet in that moment. This is what we read in verse 11, Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah finally remembers, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you, I have committed my cause. To you, I have committed my cause. And that, friends, that is the way of wisdom. Like Jeremiah, Jeremiah recognized, or rather, he begins to reckon as reality. He just begins to count as truth what God had made known to him. And really, that is the way to handle any challenging situation. Trusting God is the path of wisdom. Because you can almost be certain that the way you are seeing your situation is not the way it truly is as God sees it. So really, this is what we have to remember. The only answer for us as we face difficulties and challenges in this life, in this world, the only answer It is to begin with God. Begin with the unchangeable one. Begin with the one who sees things as they truly are. We start with him. We start with what he has told us, with what he has promised us. And then we work from that back to our situation. And as we bring his promises, his identity, his words to what we are facing, we see them in a different light. And, and this, this is what the prophet does here. He starts with God. I don't understand what's going on, but I rest on this. You, Lord, you are with me. You are the dread warrior. And still, it's interesting as you read this chapter. He doesn't understand what's going on. The situation doesn't make sense to him. But his faith reassures him in God's sovereignty. And so he cries out. This is in chapter 20, verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he's delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. (laughs) That's an odd song to sing in the stocks that the temple gave, right? Does it bring to mind Acts 16? Paul and Silas in stocks in the prison in Philippi. At midnight, what do they do? This, they they sing. They sing out to the point where stuff starts collapsing. And finally, the prison guard comes and says, how can I be saved? (laughs) This is what Jeremiah learned to do in the difficulties. I will choose to sing praises to the Lord. He still has questions, still is facing struggles. He's still in the stocks, but he chooses to trust God. Because in this, he he discovered what many have discovered across the centuries. What would be expressed by John in his first epistle, 1 John 4, 4, because John says this, remember, He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. So what will it be for you, friends? And whatever difficulty, challenge you face, what will you choose? I encourage you, begin with our God. May I lead us in prayer over this? And Heavenly Father, we thank you 
in these writings of Jeremiah for this reminder of your faithfulness. Both your faithfulness to Jeremiah and your faithfulness to your promises today. And, and so in this, I would pray, would you keep us from trembling in faith? Would you keep us from charging you with deceit? Keep us, Lord, from weakness. But even when we are weak, thank you for the forgiveness and the healing that you manifest in our lives. And I pray this, Father, praying that you would bring your grace, your hope, your truth, your strength to all who walk in challenging times right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And again, all God's people say, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends?